Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Before we kick this off, I just want to say thanks so much to everyone who's taken 15 to 90 seconds out of their day to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It boosts us up the ranks massively and makes a huge difference to how many people we can reach with these potentially life-saving stories. So thank you. And for those who haven't got around to it, please, if Youngblood has delivered you some value, let us know on there. Cheers, legends. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Jack, how did you view mental health before your cousin Maddie died? I was pretty fortunate that I went through my own struggles when I was younger before Maddie. I didn't necessarily talk too much about it, but when I was about 16, 17, I had my first bout with anxiety and a little bit of depression. And it was through going through that that I went to a psychologist and a counsellor and I started to delve into it and learn more about what those things were and, and how it made me feel. Thing. After that, though, I didn't necessarily talk too much about mental health, but that was when I first had my experience of, well, it can happen to anybody. And, um, you know, I struggled through that and that took some some time to get through. Did you see the benefit in it at that time when you were that young? Oh, big time. Like I feel that the reason I got through that and even to, to today in my own practice is being able to understand that once you kind of learn more about mental health and you learn more about anxiety, depression and things like that, it's much more treatable. And the more you understand that you're not the only one going through it, it's actually extremely common. And yeah, the psychologist and counsellor, both of them, the counsellor gave me more of a lived peer experience and the psychologist gave me more of a clinical, like how your brain works and stuff. So coupling that is was fantastic and really, really useful for me. And those early struggles that you went through as a young lad what was that stemming from at the time i had an incredible childhood uh i had the best parents you know i had good brothers but you know these things you have your own trials during those times of um you know different things happening and that caused a bit of anxiety within myself at the time uh, and i feel from that i didn't necessarily understand it till one time uh in year 11 i can remember it like it was yesterday had a really bad panic attack and I had no idea what that was or what I was experiencing. I genuinely thought I was having a heart attack, to be honest. And it was from that that I just that kind of went downhill from there until I kind of went home and I you know, broke into tears. And uh, mum kind of, mum is an incredible lady. She's the reason I'm still here. Uh, helped me through that. We went to a psychologist, counsellor, and, and like I said, I, I got through that. But yeah, I had no idea what was going on at the time. And if I didn't get that help, I feel like I might not be here, to be honest. So you already had that grounding and that understanding of how men can feel you know, in terms of struggling with their mental health, even if they don't have a particular reason to hinge it on. You, know, you had a bit of compassion and your own experience with what it's like to go through something like that, even if it wasn't sparked by a particular tragedy. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important as well is to note that sometimes people don't have that experience with mental health, so therefore it's hard for them to understand. Um, but, yeah, that was my experience is that, you know, before I lost Maddie, I definitely had, and I had a, um, you know, I have my father who's a, a fantastic bloke who's taught me quite a bit. Um, you know, he's had his own struggles from time to time and really helped me to understand that it's kind of it's okay not to be okay and to, to open up about these things. So I was really lucky in the sense that my lived experience 
uh, showed me and was able to illustrate that you go through things, but you can overcome them. And mental health is quite prevalent within society. For sure. So tell us about Maddie. Uh, Maddie, where do I start? So he was like my brother, man. Like, you know, I classified him as my brother, actually my cousin, but he was like a brother to me. Um, I was looking through messages a, a while back because I was talking to my mum. And there's one time there, I was, well, I was had a job. I probably shouldn't say this if my old employer's watching, but we caught up for coffee. I think it was like 10 days in a row, 10 work days in a row <laughs> uh, at lunch, like, because he just worked up from me and was super, super close, man. Like, um, played basketball together. And yeah, he just had that big brother mentality where he's always looking out. But now looking back, he always would ask me about my problems. How was I? What was going on in my life? And then when I'd turn around and be like, yeah, this is what's happening for me. And like, but hey, what about you, bro? He deflected and he didn't like talking about himself. And he was a big tatted up, like he was huge. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a brisk 5'7", whereas he was like 6'1", 6'2", and like 110 kilos. Just gym was his life. And um, Did you recognize yeah, at like, the time that he never really spoke about how he was going? Well... See, that's the thing. Hindsight can be good at times. And I look back and I didn't really pay too much attention to it because I feel like in society, sometimes guys just don't like to talk about their own things. And even I was a bit reluctant because he had that big brother mentality. I felt more open to talk to him about the problems that I was experiencing. And very rarely would he open up about his or he'd make a joke or deflect the conversation. And now I've learned, obviously, from my lived experience of what the case was. But back then, I just thought he didn't really like to talk about, you know, much about himself. Did you ever consider for a second that he might take his own life? You can look back on things and, you know, maybe there were a few signs that this could happen because Matt was a very, um, you could tell now that Matt did have his own trauma and things that he was going through that he didn't talk about. So I suppose, yes, but at the same time, like, I'd like to feel that I did absolutely everything I could to be able to reach out to him to try and connect. But Maddie just didn't want to connect because of that old, old school mentality to which we're trying to change at the minute. But when you look back, it makes sense and it's easy to see those signs and think, yeah. oh, I remember when he said this or when he was going through this, I can work it out in my brain how he might have jumped to this conclusion. And you can look back and that all makes sense. But for me personally, at the time with my mate and never having experienced anything to do with suicide or even really mental illness just didn't even enter my mind you know as yeah. obvious as those signs would have been looking back and now being quite educated in the space and having been able to help other friends since then at the time like my brain didn't consider that for a second yeah definitely man and I, look i feel like that's just again goes down to lived experience now i've had that I'm much more cognizant of around other friends and and things like that because yeah, I did reach out um, and you look back and you can piece the things together of, oh, he didn't go to this social event and there was kind of a pattern going on where you're like, oh, well, like you said, it actually makes sense now. He didn't go to this because he wasn't feeling good. And the last message that Maddie sent me, he was meant to come over with his partner to a real intimate small gathering we were having. Um, he was meant to come over with his wife, Christy, and he's going to bring us a cheese platter. I was fucking stoked about it. Anyway, the next morning he woke up and he messaged me and was like, hey, man, I'm not going to be able to make it to your party today. I'm not feeling good. And see, I didn't really, I just thought that as a physical thing because we always, we, I feel like sometimes we discount the mental side of things and how that can make you feel. The One of the best things, and I've said this heaps, people probably tired of hearing me say it, but the importance of 
really thinking of the messages that you send to people because you really don't know if it'll be the last thing that they see. Yeah. He messaged me and I wrote one back band like, fuck, man, like, you know, seriously. I was like, bro, just come. If anything, just drop off the cheese platter kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> you really wanted this about. cheese platter, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm a massive fan, brother. I love the finer things. So I was like, <laughs> I used to anyway, but I was like, all right. But before I sent it, I was like, oh, nah, he's sick. Like, he's, he could be pretty bad. Anyway, I deleted all that and said, um, you know, didn't send that message. Said, hey, brother, here if you need anything. Um, hope you're feeling better, man. Let us know. And then sent that. And that was the last time I heard from Maddie. How does it feel for you now knowing that you deleted that message and at least sent one back that was more positive? Like, do you feel like you would have carried some more guilt if that message was different to the one you actually ended up sending? I suppose I would have. But at the end of the day, we're at, Maddie still isn't here no matter what I can say or, or would have done. And I genuinely believe no matter what, even if I said anything, that Maddie had made his mind up and that's what he was going to do. And at that point in time, there's unfortunately not much I could have done because of the mental state that he was in. Um, so therefore, you know, I kind of just, that's been a really good lesson for me. Just being more kind. I think it's just really important to be cognizant of, the messages you send to people because maybe not suicide or just anything life's short and life's you know you really don't know we're all in line we just don't know when it's our turn when we're you know dropping off so yeah you so don't important. know what's going on under the surface and you do know that yeah. everyone only shows to the world what they want the world to see or all of us are battling with some kind of demons and struggles underneath that and yeah. you know that you are yourself so you've got to think well i bet this person is too I don't know to what extent or if this is related to that, but just think, put yourself in their shoes and, and say, well, it's not really going to make a difference to me if I choose to be kind in this position or not, but it might make a difference yeah. to them and they might need it today. Like you said, you, you went over in your head what you could have done differently or what you could have said. I think everyone who loses someone to suicide needs to go through that or will inevitably go through that thinking about those things. I found that I just sort of had to tie myself out going through that in my head and then that's probably something I couldn't have stopped till I reached a point where I was able to get some more perspective and I guess you'd say accept it um, but I don't yeah. I, I, it's hard to imagine that anyone could go through that and not be thinking those thoughts that's a normal human reaction to that is just to be able to reflect because when something goes bad no matter the severity in life our brain kind of runs an analysis to remember for next time what not to do essentially and that's with suicide because of the finality behind it i suppose there's nothing we can do but our brain still runs that and it's on loop and it was the only the fact that i sought professional help from psychs went back and saw a psychologist who was fantastic and talked about it that i was able to overcome that otherwise i feel like and maybe some people that have experienced this are still caught in that loop because they haven't went and, and gotten help and been able to overcome this next step. Because as you as you know, I'm sure you're fully aware that you, you never get to a point where it's all good, you know, like like nothing's happened. You get to a point of acceptance and, and you know, you, you can kind of have a smile when you think of them at nowadays. But, um, you know, that takes some time and it takes some healing to get there. Yeah, man. So tell us about the rest of Australia Day when you found out what had happened? So I remember it was pretty brutal. I remember I got a call saying, hey, is Maddie with you? And I was like freaking out as soon as I heard that because that was unlike him to just go missing. And I messaged a few people and called a few people and was like, hey, have you seen him? And then I messaged Maddie. But I haven't deleted messages. I don't know. I just keep him because I, I don't even miss him, love him. Anyway, I, um, I remember messaging him and calling him and his phone was off. 
And I just kept saying, hey, brother, like, I love you. I really, like, if anything's wrong, please let me know. Please come and see me. And I got nothing back. And I was full of anxiety because I started, my brain started to piece the, the pieces together from what had happened yeah. in the past in his kind of tendencies. And I was like, oh, no. Like, I was like, please, not like, you know, negotiating with God, I guess you could say. And then I got a call a few hours later saying, hey, we found him, Matt's passed away. That absolutely brought me to my knees because I was, you know, like it did everybody who was in his life because he was an awesome human. And yeah, I suppose from there, I, I tried to um, put the pieces together of how I was going to come back from that. And then I went to the hospital and saw him. And then, um, and then yeah, that was really a final thing that I was with him the day before. Yeah. And then you kind of see it. It's a, it's a massive eye opener. And it took me some, some serious work on myself. To get through that i got that same phone call what happened yeah. to your body when you got that call in some sense it was like i was floating i was so anxious i couldn't like i had no i couldn't concentrate so i got oh sorry sorry so i got the phone call afterwards sorry to go back on that i got the phone call afterwards what actually had um happened first before i got another call from um one of his other family members is my cousin who's again like one of my best mates was walking um I called him and said, hey, call me if you hear anything. Like, and he was assuring me he's a bit older. He's like, yeah, man, look, I'm sure he's just gone, you know, having his own time. And I said, look, call me as soon as you hear anything. And I was sitting on my bed at the time and I saw um, my cousin pulled up out the front and he was just like had his hands on the steering wheel and was like looking forward for like five minutes and didn't say anything. And I walked out to the driveway and like looked at him because I was like, I just could sense because I was like, he would have called me if it was anything, like if he was okay. Anyway, and then he came out and he just told me point blank. He said, um, Matt's killed himself um, and gave me a big hug. And we cried together and went out the back of my place and just sat down on the back deck and just kind of cried together and just chatted. And he was awesome, actually. Like, yeah, my cousin was fantastic in helping me um, for that initial stage, that initial shock stage. Because same thing, I was like shaking and crying and just it turns your world upside down because you think to yourself, it'll never happen to me until it happens to you. I felt that way about suicide. And then, yeah, that happened. Yeah, I completely relate to that. Um, it's unlike anything else, especially if you haven't experienced any sort of a sudden loss before. Because for me, that was the first time that someone in my life had died at all who, you know, it wasn't their time and they, they, shouldn't, yeah. have, they shouldn't have died anywhere near that young. And yeah. this is the first time that I, and the only time, luckily that I've even gone into shock. I didn't know what that was. Uh, and I was yeah. actually at work. I was halfway through a shift as a news reporter when I got that call from another friend. And yeah, my brain just discombobulated where I, I remember hanging up the phone call in disbelief and my initial reaction was to keep working, <laughs> like to keep yeah. doing the shift. And I told yeah. my mate who luckily who I was with, who was a, a cameraman and he was like, oh, like, man like what the fuck like you know that's massively devastating and like you need to go home and i remember being like no nah, like it's all right i can uh, i can keep working like that's what my brain did which is just completely yeah. ridiculous well, like, yeah, man, no way I, I, I went into work the next day man as well like uh, yeah. and everyone at work well anybody that was like um i was i was actually pretty fresh at this new job I'd only been there for like maybe a, not even a month i'd say so i wasn't really close with many people and same thing. I went in there and one of the ladies I worked with was like, what are you doing? Like, 
And I don't know. I just, it was just, I feel like that's just us trying to distract ourselves. It's just Mm. so overwhelmed. And I feel like not only within this, our brains do this with a lot of hurt and a lot of, especially within males, is that we just try and try and push it down and we don't want to deal with it. And our way of dealing with it is going, delving into our work because, you know, we need to think about that. With something so traumatic, that's not possible, in my opinion. Like you can't, no, not at all. But I, I just, I was so new to shock. That. I didn't even yeah. know how to be in shock. I was like, of yeah, course, people yeah, yeah. don't. That's part of the point. Then I called my yeah. producer and told them what happened. And they were like, well, like, yeah, you definitely need to go home now. And then yeah. 10 minutes later, I was like shaking uncontrollably and just totally losing it. And for the next, definitely the next 24 hours, I don't even remember it that, that well. I do remember bits of it, but I just being so perplexed and just completely shocked at what had happened that it's like your brain can't compute it and you're like that doesn't make sense that can't be a real thing that's how it felt um and then after that in dealing with people who were in shock in my work after that happened i viewed it very differently and that was with doing the news reporting and then that was part of the reason why i couldn't do that job anymore because i was like i can't i can't make these people talk when they're in this state because i just think of myself and what happened to my friend and like it just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, definitely. Especially going through, yeah, going through all that. I suppose I was the same. Perhaps you would have felt like this. Is it what well, even so when I went to the hospital and like they identified him and saw him, that was hard to believe, but it kind of was like, okay, well, he's he's there, like he's passed away, but I was still in disbelief. And then like we went to the wake and then the funeral. And then even like a month later, um, sorting some stuff out with his wife, Christy, and I saw his um death certificate. And even that I was like, it just still didn't feel yeah, man. my brain. I was. so get that. You still expect them to come back. Still now, it's years later. I still have times where I'm like, I can't believe that he's still gone. Like, yeah. Have you had any experience with like walking down the street and you see someone that looks identical and then your brain's like, oh, fuck, ha. oh, that's yeah. impossible. Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or certainly people with like characteristics from afar who would remind me of my friend. And then my brain goes yeah. like, that's them. And then you, then it, that's a real fucking sad moment sometimes because you're like, that makes, makes you think about it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, the finality. And that's the way I look at it, I suppose. Like any, any hardships we face and any adversity we go through, I feel is a really good opportunity to make you see that, righto, that, that life is final. Like mm. we, we are there. We do have an expiration date. And to just do our best until we meet again. And I do believe in an afterlife. I don't know what that looks like. I'm not that religious. But just especially from seeing Maddie, who was so full of life um, to lifeless, I just, I now understand and I can see that we definitely, our souls definitely do go, this is my opinion, of course, is that we definitely do go somewhere. And until I do meet up with Maddie again, which I'm sure I will, I've got to try and do what I can, do my best, and I'm going to make mistakes. I make them all the time. And, you know, I just try and do the best and overcome these these things with a smile, I suppose, because if you can't smile or laugh at yourself, then who can you? But that experience just grabs you and rattles the fuck out of you and yeah. so, and shows you like you are human and this can happen. Like look at this happen to someone that you know right right next to you and then you're never, yeah. you're never the same after that. Not like, yeah. oh, okay, now we're all broken and sad forever. Of course, that's not what we mean. But yeah. in terms of... Or I sometimes say taking off like the rose-colored glasses or whatever, or just adding Definitely. that adding that edge of realness or or sharpness to life, where it's like, yeah, so everything's all good for a while, but it, life can be can 
absolutely brutal at times. And there's nothing you can do about that sometimes as well. Well, that hardship, man, completely changed my life. I mean, for a lot of reasons, but I was in real estate and I was very much like trying to be the wolf of Wall Street and just trying yeah. really motivated by money. Focusing and on all stuff these. that doesn't matter. Exactly. And once, I, once this happened to me, like I took, like you said, the rose, rose card glasses off and I was like, what the fuck is money? Like money's irrelevant. I was like, cars are irrelevant. Like all this shit that I didn't need. And from there, I actually, I worked in real estate for like maybe another month or two and then gave it away. And then from there, I started a degree in psychology, started going out with Christy to all these schools and you know gyms and stuff when we started facilitating these sessions and started doing all those things. And yeah, from there, I was like, I really, like, I love presenting. I love, I'm very passionate about mental health. I'm very, very passionate about suicide awareness and prevention from my lived experience of it. And then from there, you know, it has gotten me a job working with um, open arms in a lived experience role. Helping veterans and also, you know, run and talk to me, bro, um, with Luke and, and stuff like that. So it's been a really, it's been one of the hardest experiences in my life, but it was one of the biggest kicks in the bum to let me know, to give me idea and shape of where I needed to go in life. Yeah. And then your entire life just goes this other direction. And do you have this, yeah. do you have this feeling when you're doing the work that you do now where you're like, this is what I was meant to do, or is this is me doing the thing that I feel like I really should be doing on this earth. Is that how you feel? Yeah, just the like just the job satisfaction. If you go home and you turn around and you're not a billionaire and you're not making all these big bucks, but you go home with a smile and you can't wait to get up in the morning and go to the next job. Like my parents are both fantastic role models. Are like if you don't wake up and bounce out of bed to go to that job, then you're in the wrong place. And I wasn't like that in my last place because I was motivated by shit motivators, money, cars, this and that. However, in this new role, I work with people. I get to connect with people sometimes, most of the time when they're at their lowest and I get to work with them and connect and try and get them to see that the world is a better place for not only having them in it, but for them being there themselves. We can get out of it. Like I was at a stage personally where I was suicidal and I didn't want to be here anymore. You know, fast forward three years and I'm at a stage now where I'm very fortunate to be in a spot where I'm facilitating sessions with, with some incredible other facilitators within Talk To Me Bro and raising awareness about something that really needs to be talked about in Australia, and that is suicide. And long-winded answer to answer your question, each time I get up and facilitate, I still get nervous even though I've done, like I've presented to I reckon close to 10,000 people now, wow. I still get nervous and that tells me that I'm still in the right space and I need to be here because I love it. You certainly wouldn't have found it this young had that not happened to you. That's sort of a weird feeling as well because I feel like you now in that my life's imbued with so much purpose and I wouldn't want to be doing anything else other than working in this space and telling these kinds of stories. Yet that's attached to the most painful thing that I've ever lived through. Whereas if that hadn't happened, then my life would have gone a different direction, certainly at this young age as well. And it's just a weird thing to think about. But I guess yeah, well, the road not yeah. travelled, right? Like you can't, I can't live yeah. life thinking about it. Well, that's the like thing. That. I'd, love to, I'd love to have a parallel universe where like we could see what would happen? Like, you know, I wish our life... You probably have a Lambo like, by now, bro. Well, yeah, yeah, to be honest, <laughs> but I'd probably fucking hated and I would have woken up like I did, hating myself, but, you know, selling my soul each day. It's really funny to, to think about that because I think without Matt passing away, where would I be in my life? I mean, I'd have him back, which would be the best thing in the world to me, but would I still be chasing really superficial... Not even you know, like, like where would you be, but who would you be? Yes, yeah, great question. I'd, 
I don't know, would I be this smug, arrogant little shit? Or like, I don't know, man. I think it's everything and the more I think of it, like things happen in life for a reason. Now, obviously, it'd be great to have Maddie here, but from Maddie's passing, his incredible wife who started Talk to Me Bro and got people, you know, such as myself and I bought one of my best mates on Luke Connors, we've been able to talk to thousands upon thousands of people and every now and then get messages back from participants that have come to our like our, our weekly catch-ups or come to our um you know come to our seminars and stuff like that say hey that chat helped me I'm really struggling one um, participant at one of our retreats said that our advertising for one of our retreats he was googling ways to kill himself painlessly mm. and our ad came up on his facebook like 10 minutes later and then he booked himself in and came along to it and he said he's learned some skills and tricks and that's not to yeah. say that we necessarily the cause, but just being able to be there and provide that support and it's something else. Yeah. And they're just the ones that you know about and you, you know, you, you have that opportunity to turn this extremely difficult tragedy into something that's been massively possible for thousands and thousands of people. And like, what could be more powerful than that? That's, it's such an incredible thing to be able to offer the world. Um, and I guess in terms of thinking about who, you, who else you might be, you can think, well, how do I feel about the person that I am, you know, the man that I am now and what I give to the world and sort of what I embody. And I imagine that you're pretty happy with that. I'm not saying you're perfect. <laughs> I don't have too much of a man crush on you. <laughs> well, you would have been the first person to, but I No, I completely look, and I still make mistakes. I'm still, I still ongoing struggles with gambling and different addictions and things like that, which I'm overcoming and I'm in a great space, you know, if I'm, you know, being sober and things like that. But I still make mistakes. I still do dumb things. I suppose it's just learning though. Um, and I feel like I said earlier, a, a massive kind of lesson I try and, anybody I mentor and I work with is that through adversity, you can create, a, like you can create something. And the, the proof in the pudding is talk to me, bro. From losing such an incredible person, it would have been very easy to, you know, clench your fist at the sky and say, fuck you, God, and, and just hate life. Or like, well, that's not going to get you anywhere. But instead, you can kind of live through that legacy and go, righto, this didn't happen to me, it happened for me. Yeah. So how can I utilize this to better myself and just to help those around me that may be struggling through something similar? Because the reason I'm so passionate about suicide prevention and awareness and even dealing with um, the bereavement process of people that have lost someone recently is I've experienced that pain and I know how fucking terribly dark it is. I don't want people to feel the way I did. So yeah, there's some great motivators and and to be able to not just in suicide, just in life, if something shit happens to you, you can look at it two ways. You can you can be negative about it, which is a you know that's that's fine. That's a normal human emotion. But you're going to get a lot further if you if you start searching for gold rather than shit, in my opinion. And how did it devastate the people that loved Maddie? Um, hugely. You know, like he he I didn't know this, but he apparently said to someone once that he's like, oh, if I died, no one would come to my funeral. And now that we see that, that's part of depression that was undiagnosed. But he had like, I think, 450 to 500 people go to his funeral. Like, it was a massive turnout and we're absolutely devastated. Like, I just don't think he understood. And I think a lot of people that are in that, you know, for me, myself, that are in that suicidal headspace is you don't understand just how important you are and you feel like you're a burden. And it's that brain, that's your brain tricking you and telling you these terrible things because of the, the imbalance and, and different things. You are going through that rough patch. And I think it talked to me, bro, is it's a rough patch, not a rough life mm. because 
you're going through that, you can overcome that. That's yeah. a rough patch. You can overcome that. Yeah, it's that. not going to last. Money. It's not going to last. But the problem is it feels like it's going to last. And yeah, it's correct. so dark yeah. and it's so bad that people are like, if this is what it's going to be, then I'm out. I'm not doing this. But yeah, exactly if, you can right. get yeah. Th- if you can get through that really, like you said, a really rough patch, it does get better quickly, not, not necessarily to the point where you're like, okay, I'm happy now, but certainly better than I can't bear to be here anymore. And I've seen that yeah. since then. And I sort of, I believe that a lot of men who are suicidal, a vast percentage of them, if they were able to live through that 24 hours or that 48 hours where they were really like, it was just too much. If they can get through that time, then they probably don't actually want to die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- this is the thing, right? So there's been a ton of studies that have shown suicide survivors is that when they've gone to do that, as soon as they've gone through with that action, they've done that and something's malfunctioned, the last thing they had on their mind was regret as soon as it happened and they've kind of went, oh, fuck, no, as it's happened. Now, I feel like that would be the same for quite a bit. That's what we are about at Talk To Me, bro, is trying to educate, but also people that are suicidal is help them to understand and especially using lived experience. I think that's the key is using lived experience of, hey, I was like I my, myself, I was lost a ton of money gambling over like a, a amount of time. I was really struggling with the loss of Maddie. I was struggling with my mental health and I wasn't getting help. And I got to a point where I was suicidal. And I feel that if I didn't have my incredible um, mother around at the time, I probably wouldn't be here. And I just had that support to get me through that little, like that little day. That day became two days. I got into a psychologist. I started to go little win here, little win here. My mindset started, I went from suicidal to depressed, which still fucking sucks. And that's hard for anybody that's experienced that. But then I slowly had more and more wins. And I felt like I was digging myself further out of the hole. The light was like, I could see the light and it was getting closer, not further away like I felt because I was putting in the effort um, you know, and then I, I was able to get out of that. And I look back and I think, had I not stuck with it, I would, you know, I wouldn't be here. And I really want to show people that it is possible to get out of that. So like, this isn't your life. It will get better. And you even even it. not being out of it yet isn't the problem in itself. Like if you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how far away it is, and you can feel like you're getting slightly closer to it, that's probably going to be enough to keep you going. It's only when you genuinely start to believe in your head and your heart that you cannot get there. You can't get back to a place where you live the kind of life you want to live and you feel happy within yourself. Like if you believe that that doesn't exist for you anymore, that's when suicide's pretty likely to happen because you've convinced yourself of that. But like you said earlier, that's your mind playing tricks on you and telling you and you're in such a negative headspace that spins over and over and over again that it would be so hard to dig yourself out of that because everything in your mind is negative. All the thoughts that are coming in, everything that you're surrounding yourself with, the behaviors that you're taking, it's just like you're being weighed down by this blanket that you can't get off of you. And then people say like, oh, suicide's selfish or it was the it was the easy option or this person uh, wasn't thinking about everyone else in their life. But it's like at that time, I imagine it's so painful and so hard and and you just want it to end so badly that you can't actually logically think about anything else it's not like i'd oh yeah i want to hurt all these people or like oh yeah i guess that's going to be terrible for them but i don't care i only care about myself it would it would be like i can't think about anything else other than getting this pain off me so two yeah exactly right so two things in that is 
is that a lot of the time it's like people have got, say, like a broken arm or a broken leg. What's the first thing you do? We go and get medical attention because otherwise it'd suck. Like we go get the cast and things like that. Now, the same for our mental health is if we're struggling, the longer we leave it, the more severe the pain is. And if you ask, and like you just mentioned, you talk to a ton of people that are suicidal, they don't necessarily want to die. They want that pain to go away. There's a lot of people that live good lives but have this yearning pain within them that's just they feel at the time is too much to bear. And, and that that's kind of, um, you know, why they, they do go down the line of suicide because they just want that pain to end. But another reason is your brain can... Pr- play tricks on you, like I was saying, and you like use the words like you feel like you're a burden and you feel like your brain can make you feel as if you're like the world would be better here without you. Now, it's not as simple as someone in that mind frame to turn around and go, don't be silly, don't do something ridiculous or anything like that. It's really important to be compassionate and try and understand when people are talking about that and not, you know, because your brain is is really, really complex, obviously, a part of your um, to try and negotiate with. You can't necessarily negotiate with it. But being able to be uh, be there with that person and be able to just be compassionate, understanding, and not necessarily try and add advice, but just know that you're there for them. Because a lot of people that I work with with suicide uh, feel that they just they were lacking connection within their life. So giving connect, like being able to connect with that person, I think is an integral part of recovery. You know, with people that are suicidal, is we've got what's called a like there's heaps in mental health movements, but it's called a toolbox, a mental toolbox. And we try and get things that make us feel good um, to be able to have right there so that when we do start to make a turn, and life's not perfect. I've got one, like I, I, I like to think that on my journey I'm developing and I'm getting better and better. But even I've got one that as soon as I start to go down and my brain starts feeding me that shit, you know, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, the world would be better off without you, anything like that. Go for a walk around the harbour in the Illawarra and it makes me feel really good. I put some music on and no matter how I'm feeling, that makes me feel good. Now, that might not be for everybody, but maybe it's going for a bike ride. And the hardest part when you're in that headspace and in that negative mind frame is making that first step. Yeah, because the last thing that you want to do is the thing that's going to make you feel better. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. But we know that this is going to make us feel better. It's done it in the past. And maybe it might not do it in that spot, but to have a few things that you can go to to make yourself feel better. Be like, okay, well, I enjoy this. And try and we need to keep it positive. A male thing um, is to take your mate if he's struggling and goes, oh, man, I broke up my miss. I'm not in a good headspace. Let's go for a beer. Mm. Now, we're really against that because adding someone who's depressed with a depressant, you know, a lot of the time the studies, I, I believe, I can't remember the percentage, so I'm not going to say it, but the people um, linked to either being on drugs or alcohol when they die to suicide, it increases your chances severely of people. That and it conditions the brain to look for that as the coping mechanism as well. Correct. And you can form dependencies on that. And I did with gambling, for example, once yeah. Maddie passed away. I used that because I, I, you know, I was disconnecting and then connecting through a really negative habit. So, you know, it's important to have positive things in place, but if anybody could get anything out of this chat that we're having, I suppose, from myself would be that you don't understand just how important a text or a phone call could be because I've had times in the past where, like, when I was at my lowest, I had some incredible friends message me. Like, it doesn't have to be serious. Like, even just, like, when I've been at my lowest, of taking the piss of me or mucking around because there's that connection again we come back to. And there's also, like, to add a point to that, because I find definitely because of the work in this space, like I regularly am sending those messages 
and having those chats. And I get something out of that as well. And it makes me feel good to check in on my mates and have those conversations and be like, yeah, yeah, they're all good. They're all good. But then there's also like, you need to have that happen for you. And you need to like check in on yourself or have that connection come back to yourself. And hopefully you are getting those messages and people are asking you how you're going. I'm fortunate enough to have that. But if that's not happening, you know, just you checking on everyone else, but not thinking about yourself, that can start to become an issue as well. So it's like, how can you find a way to check back in with yourself, give yourself some space and time and like take a breath? You know, what do you do? What do you do when that happens? So working in this space, I like all my work essentially apart from another business is revolving around mental health. Yeah. So it's extremely, extremely draining. So emotionally intense, man. And I'm sure from this incredible podcast you got up and running, bro, that, you know, it'd be draining after it. You feel like you've taken on a lot. So it's really, and I struggled with this at the start of my journey within mental health, but I'm heaps better at it now that I've got some tips and tricks that allow me to check in with myself, know who I am and be able to, um, to be able to unwind and get rid of it. Like I, I am massive into breath work. Yeah. You know, I feel that that's been fantastic because it's a meditative way of being able to just focus on my breath and it's, I've also kind of see it, it's a bit of a strange cat. I also kind of visualize like, well, whilst I'm doing my breath work, of breathing in like positivity, hope yeah. and all these things that I can send out to the world and send out to people I'm yeah, working yeah. with. And when I breathe out, I'm breathing out the negative emotions I've taken in over the couple of, you know, my week. For example, I usually do breath work two or three times a week. I'd like to do cold water exposure because it's fantastic in getting me out of my own head and just getting me in. Nothing will get you more in the present than an ice bath because your body goes in. <laughs> You're just trying to survive. But that's discipline, that's though. Why. It's That's admirable discipline to be able to sit yourself down and do that and do that consistently, whatever those healthy coping mechanisms are. Because if you're doing work that's so emotionally intense like you do, like even more so than me, what do you do when you're emotionally drained? Well, for me, I my brain automatically wants to look for those things that aren't going to help. So, you know, if, I, if I've been really putting out a lot of output emotionally and feeling drained, my brain's like, okay, let's drink, let's do drugs, let's do something yeah. that's going to take me out of this headspace and like give me, that, give me that gap and that break. And I think that is like a typical problem, especially for men where we lean into those things as the coping mechanisms, which actually just lead us to a way worse place where we're less able to deal with our feelings and emotions in our lives overall. And it doesn't help at all, but it's a lot easier to reach for that than it is to have the discipline to meditate or call a friend or read a book or go and do martial arts or go for a walk. Those sorts of things sometimes, especially when you're real tired, just seem like they'd be too hard. And it's like, I want to fill this gap now. And you have to come up with a different way to do that because you need that space and you need that time and you have to be able to switch that state of mind and, and give yourself that rest. And you can't just not drink or not do drugs or not gamble or not watch porn or whatever it is and then not replace that with something that's much better for you. You can't just sit there and be like, like, oh, well. Because yeah. <laughs> it's like a scale, right? If you take something out, it's going to completely go up. The way I look at myself nowadays is I'm trying to treat myself as a third person and I'm someone that I'm trying to help. I'm the same man like with exactly what you just said. But 
all those things kind of come down to connection too. So we can find that. Like we drink, usually you're going to be with mates. Sometimes it's alone, but you can connect through that because it numbs you. Yeah. And all these other things are connecting through porn. And what we don't necessarily, sometimes we don't understand is that those connections can be found elsewhere. And I like to trick my brain because sometimes I can be a lazy motherfucker, man. Like there's a lot of times <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to go for that run. I don't want to do totally. that. But I'll literally trick myself into being like, all right, bro, like, like I said, it's kind of weird, like, you know, probably got something wrong with me here. But being able to be like, all right, man, let's go for a 2K run. And they'd be like, oh, 2Ks is pretty manageable. They're like, you know, that's pretty nice here. I was like, yeah, we can manage that. Anyway, and then I'll go out. And then at one and a half K, I'm like, let's see what two and a half K feels like. Let's see what three Ks feel yeah. like until I get to four. I'm like, no, no, you've you've used all your lenience. We're on our way back now. And yeah. I do that. And I think that's a fantastic tool to just, even if for my breath work, it's quite a bit of effort. And I feel like a lot of the time, I don't go, right, are we going to do five rounds of Wim Hof and we're going to do this? Because if I thought that in my head, it'd be like far out. You wouldn't even start. Yeah. Like, man, like I don't even like, you know, it's a lot of effort to get into it. And But what I'll do is I'll tell you what, let's just sit down and put some meditative music on and we'll do one round. Yeah. The one round turns to two. And it's so important. And I feel like that's so important in so many aspects of life for me personally, is it just that little start before you know that positive thing, it starts releasing chemicals in your brain, making you feel better about yourself. You want to do more of it. And all it takes as well is like you were saying that you want to connect to alcohol, for example, rather than read a book or do something. If you can say no one, and I've learned this through gambling, if you can say no one time and do that positive thing and connect through reading, the next time alcohol comes around and rears its head to connect, it's less. Yeah. It's not as much in your face because you're like, no, like reading a book was really good. I woke up the next day and felt fantastic. And then as it goes on, you're like, you're choosing yourself more and more. That's going to shrink the demon to the point where it's not going right. to be non-existent. Yeah. It'll always be there, but you're reconditioning your brain to go and look for the healthy coping mechanism rather than the negative one. With my gambling, for example, it used to be a massive, you know, a big three-headed fucking Harry Potter monster in the room next to me and I'd open the door up and it'd win every time because I'd let it win and I'd turn around and be like, it's huge. But now I've gotten it down to like a fucking chihuahua, you know what I mean, in the (laughs) other room. And I feel like that's though is because... And it's proven, it's not like my thing here, is that it's just each time you build up that resilience, it's just about putting and it's difficult. But if you put your best foot forward and go, no, I'm just going to try this once, the next time it's getting smaller and smaller to a point where you start to look after yourself. And like the reason I treat myself as a third person, although I'm someone I'm trying to help, is to make these decisions is that I wouldn't let my mate, if my mate was struggling, I wouldn't turn around and be like, hey, bro, you should go, like, let's go get on the piss. (laughs) <laughs> and do that if my mate was struggling like that's ridiculous if my mate was struggling i'd be like hey bro like why don't we have a night in and I we find it so up. much easier to care for others than we do for ourselves definitely which is madness like you know i'd like to see us all as like ferraris and lambos and stuff like that and we're feeding feeding that bad boy little fat lambs and other such things that's <laughs> no good for it you know what i mean like you'd never do that in a lambo why the fuck are we doing it in ourselves and it's tricky but I feel my experience, my lived experience has really, really helped me to be able to understand these things. And it's through years of not doing this. It's from years of not being that guy. It's daily decisions out. though, isn't it? It's, it's, it's daily little wins where you're constantly going to be faced with that choice. Pretty much, yeah, every yeah. day, again and again and again. And you know, you know, no one else knows. These are silent battles that you undergo yourself. But you know what decision you made. You know what your self-worth is. You know where you're going to end up if you take that decision over that decision. But it's not like, all right, I made the right call on Tuesday. 
and now I'm a good person and it's all sweet forever. It's like you have to yeah. do it every day and you have yeah, to keep. Exactly. And, and, and also it's not like you have to be perfect every day. You always have to make the right decision. That's not realistic either because you're going to make the wrong decision. Sometimes you might do it a bunch of times in a row, but can you recognize that and can you pull yourself up and then start making the right decision again? You know, that's, that's what it comes down exactly to. Exactly right. And learning from like, for example, like this has been a common theme talking about that I relate with is with alcohol, like getting on it and being an absolute idiot. And I don't like myself when I drink. I'm a completely different person. And being able to look back and understand that, well, we've been down that road before. If you were to look at it, be like, right, we've been down that road, like turns into a dick. But if we go down that road, uh, something holistic, like reading, or even to be honest, man, I've actually played, like feel like a 12 year, but I play like um, PlayStation quite a bit, man. Yeah. Um, like when I'm not feeling good. And it's a good way to disconnect from the world, but it's not negative, man. Like it's a good way to connect. It's better than gambling. A lot less expensive. Oh, 100%. Well, I lose, you know, I just, I don't lose heaps of money. I just lose patience, man, which I'm happy to lose <laughs> that over money every and, day of the week. And you talk about the roads and you're like, okay, we know that one's a dead end, right? And we know that this one is, is better for us, leads to a better place. But the funny thing about that is like, Man, I've been down the same dead end road hundreds of times. <laughs> and- you and me both, honestly. You and me both. It's like my nav, my little tom tom that's inside me is just to that. And one before road I walk down me. there, there's a big sign there. It's all dark and shit. It says dead end road. I'm like, yeah, I fucking know it is, but I'm still going to go down to the end of it to yeah. make sure, you, just you to know, make sure I again. Mean, I'm I'm so guilty of that, but I suppose one thing that I'm and I'm certainly not perfect at it, but I'm getting better at is the discipline to be able to make decisions based off that understanding and go. Not just, you know, where that leads, because sometimes we like where that leads. Like, oh, it's not the worst. Totally. But just that discipline and those 1% is add up. And the one massive thing which I've learned is making my bed, for example, when I get up, because that's starting my day off with an automatic win. Mate, you're such like, a Jordan Peterson acolyte. <laughs> well, bro, no, I know. I'm a massive fan of Jordan Peterson, but I feel like that's because I resonate with so many of his teachings because... That has helped me massively because once you start your day off with a little win, you feel like I've I've done something positive today. Let's go for two. But if you start up, roll out of bed, have a diary, have a Red Bull, your bed looks like <laughs> yeah, we're off to a bad out. start. Yeah, because yeah, we you know, we not- we are what we repeatedly do. Hmm. You know, fact, exactly right. Fact, and yeah. we appreciate that because we know how hard it is a lot of the time to make the right decision, which we know is the right decision, when it would be yeah. easier in the moment to take the easier road but in the long run that's going to make your life so much harder and so much worse and when we end up in that state it's because when we were confronted daily by the opportunity to take the easy road we took it again and again and again and again until we ended up in a much harder place yeah well that's the burden of responsibility isn't it like there's so many responsibilities in life. Sometimes we're like put the wool over our eyes and just go get on the piss. Yeah, because you're and like, I, I just can't like deal with anything else. I'm not I'm not yeah. going for a run right now, bro. Like I just seriously, yeah. you know, that's what yeah. happens. Even exactly right. Even though we we already know those paths, but it's just about that discipline. And the more build discipline you build up in your life of those one percenters, even though you might not think that it makes a difference, you get you become more disciplined just by that one thing. Making your bed for maybe seven days might turn around and make you do your bed and the, the dishes before you leave the house. And that's two things better than you have done in the past. So yeah. we're already 2% better. Over 100 days, obviously, I'm not a mathematician, but that's a lot better. Yeah, well, then you, you become, know, and man. then you're like, well, I'm the guy that makes his bed now. And then that is yeah. a metaphor for me caring about the place that I live in. And then underneath that, me caring about me. So something seemingly as trivial as that is representative of your relationship that you have with yourself. And that's why it's important. 
Yeah, and being able to understand that you're human and you make mistakes or two things here is being able to reward yourself. So like, for example, I've been, I'm trying to read more, but I don't necessarily, I'm not a reader, I don't enjoy it. So I try and reward myself. So I'm like, all right, I'll tell you what, read for half an hour, play games for six hours. <laughs> no, <I'm not> <laughs> but, like, <laughs> yeah. but like, I'll read for half an hour and I'll be like, righto, well, like you can muck around or even like with my partner, like do something fun, go out to dinner, not necessarily because of that, but rewarding yourself with things like that is really, really important to it because you're not a robot. You do need to have fun in life. And yeah. even this goes into if you do get on the piss or, or do something like that, that's okay. To yeah, be don't beat okay yourself up as, as well. You know, if you don't make your yeah. bed, you don't have to whip yourself. <laughs> like it's like... Yeah, because that's the thing. What sometimes a lot of people that I've found that I work with is that a lot of people will like, you know, it's the same with diets and other thing, is that if you miss a day of your diet, you're more likely to just end the diet rather than I've had some really good people to help me not only with diets, but just in life to understand that even if you're having a bad day, like so long as your path looks like that. Yeah. And if you look at any graph, most of them look like that, like a wave of you going up. It's not all going to be straight. No, it's, like it's, the, it's the journey overall and it's being able to pick yourself back up and it's just consistency over time is what wins out the day. It's not like exactly you have to be right. all or nothing all the time. And even because I am a bit of an all or nothing kind of person and try actually try not to be, and a lot of people that I get along with really well are quite similar. And I think that that is the gift and the curse because even that attitude is a bit of a problem in itself because it's like it, either it has to be 100% or nothing at all. But like the intensity of that is sort of seems like that can be problematic it's, too. Because then you like, to be yeah. you can't be perfect either. Uh, and then you're like putting this pressure on everything, which probably isn't great for you either. So, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to be. Yeah, that is a hard way to um to be. It's fantastic in some ways, but in others, it's difficult because you'll beat yourself up about being all in. Like to, it's it's a struggle. I feel to have balance because I am in similar in ways that I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. Just from my gambling days, is that it is very rough to be like that because you can beat yourself up quite easily um with that. Yeah. Uh. So what's the what's the reach of Talk to Me, bro? Like, how many people have you been able to reach with these messages and with your talks, and then also your your early intervention groups? And where's it all at? Well, exciting news! We've booked in. So Luke and myself, Luke's you know an incredible person, um, one of my really good mates. He's going to be um, coming up with me to Darwin. We're facilitating a few sessions up there. Then a few weeks after that, we're in Queensland. So we've got like we're um, we're Australian wide right now. Like wow. we just had a fundraiser in Melbourne. Yeah, we've got going over to Perth. So this year for Talk to Me Bro in terms of growth is incredible because we're in every state now. We've grown from you know just from the Illawarra to now we've gone Australia wide. Amazing. And we're just trying to make sure that we we stick to our guns and we stick to knowing exactly what we do best. Yeah, and, and you can't and forget that. Support. And the bigger you get. And the more you have to remind yourself of that and like why you started and not lose track of that because yeah. it can turn you, into something yeah. else. Exactly. And that's what we're big on is being able to be authentic and remain who we are, not, you know, get massive and then turn around and just become dicks or, you know. Yeah, just obviously, not... that would be pretty ironic, wouldn't it? Like, that's not yeah, really exactly right, <laughs> wouldn't it, right? But like being able to do what we're doing right now and remain who we are, there's like be able to be able to get our message across and be able to what we do at Talk to Me Bro is we create connections. Or we we advocate connections, and we able to create 
spaces like our catch-ups that we have by Illawarra and Newcastle all over. We want to create these catch-ups for communities so that people feel like they've got somewhere to go and they've got some form of connection within the community. So that way, even if they're feeling at the lowest of lows, they've got people, apart from the incredible people at Lifeline, Beyond Blue and, and that. Yeah, but a step got- before that as well and more of a like you can see it, hold it, touch it, people in your community. It's, it's different to just being on the phone to Lifeline, which we also obviously we need, but if people can connect at an earlier stage before it gets to that crisis level. And I mean, really what we're talking about is just connected communities, which human beings have always been fairly good at, but in our world today, it's harder than ever to actually really connect in a meaningful way because this is all this distraction and all this shit that you don't need. So it's like yeah. you guys are just carving out spaces for what we used to do in an evolved way because that is so uh, fundamental to what human beings need and what we're missing and it causes all these other problems. Especially just because of the rise of technology can be a wonderful thing, but it's also really toxic. Um, you know, I struggle massively to deal with like, the arguments I'm facing. I go with months without having it, but because it talked to me, bro, and other things I kind of have to have, um, you know, that side of it. But I feel that's exactly what we're trying to do is that a lot of this new techne- um, technology is causing a lot of mental health issues. But if we can connect and go back to our primal roots, which is the way humans are meant to be, is we'll catch up. We have our little circles down at like the beaches or wherever. We're already in the natural space of where we know as humans. We have our ice bars together. We take the piss of each other. Like they're not necessarily sitting around. And the best yeah. thing that I, the group I'm involved with down the Illawarra talk with me, bro, is all the boys can go from like, oh, we actually started a girl one recently, which is cool. But the boys one, for example, like you can be getting like I'd get it all the time, getting the absolute piss taken out of Like the other day, one of the boys got me a coffee, and because I'm only five foot seven, he said a piccolo for the piccolo. And I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Rough, but the funniest thing in the world. And this is a group though, where if we flick the switch, like I know that exact same person would hold space for me to chat and vice versa. Is that connection is what we all I feel yearn for, and that's why it's been so successful. Is we still have those take the piss moments, but then we'll have to sit around a circle, and then there'll be guys talking about divorce, suicide, perhaps, and we can create connection through there, and then we can kind of go, okay, well now it's time to to go into this. So and for blokes, that's what it needs to be, and we want all friendship groups with guys and girls as well to be the same. Where it's like you're still the same friendship group you were. You're still a bunch of mates taking the piss out of each other, not taking things too seriously, but you can flip that switch and be able to tell when someone needs to actually talk about something real and be able to support each other. And then all that does is really strengthen the bond and, and strengthen the relationships that you have and make it all real and so much better. It doesn't mean that, oh, well, now we have to just be serious and we can't make jokes anymore because we just, we're serious and we just talk about mental health now and are you okay and no, I can't take the piss yeah. out of him or he's going to get depressed, like, yeah. you know. Well, look, it won't work. And again, this all comes down to connection. A lot of the time for a lot of guys is we connect through humour and we connect through a really good way. I won't use the expression, but we call our mates other things and those other things mates, you know what I mean, where we <laughs> yeah. like to take up. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, we I won't say guess it. what that word is, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like that, and that's the way it is. And one of the most humbling and not, I'm struggling for words this morning, one of the nicest comments that we've had made about the groups that we create and facilitate is that guys are like, man, it's so, like I don't have these chunk conversations with 
my like my closest friends outside of here. He's like, we have the same amount of laughs, but he's just like, you know, we're some really funny people. But the stuff that we deal with in here and chat about, really judgmental free circles that, that we create, I don't feel like there's anything I can't talk about. And if we have these all over Australia and we have all these guys and girls feeling like that there's circles out there and that not necessarily circles, but there's groups out there where you can go and say anything you need to and speak your truth and you're not going to be judged for it. I feel like that will be one of the reasons there's such a rapid decrease in suicide. Suicide will still be around, but we can do stuff about it and we're trying. We're doing and then it, it doesn't it doesn't stay in the group. You're talking about influencing culture at that point because people who are part of a group or a circle like that having those conversations, they're then going back to their friendship group and they're starting to shape that group and, and put themselves out there as willing to have those conversations and then finds that someone else in the friendship group is as well. And before you know it, you've changed the whole group. And if that's happening all around Australia and the world, then I totally agree with you that over time is how the whole culture changes. And that's when the numbers drop and things get better. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's what's funny. And some people will rock up to our like catch ups and think suicide prevention, like talk me, bro. Like, you know, thinking, oh, I don't know about this. It could be a bit sad. And then, like I said, see people calling me piccolo for the piccolo. You know what I mean? They're yeah. like, fuck, this isn't what I expected at all. And they're like, it's gold. And they see that, that um, switch flick, like I mentioned. And they're like, man, this is a really diverse group like he's can talk about everything and it's judgmental free and it's just really positive things as well like breath work ice bars it's not going for beers it's just doing things that we know fill our cup up make us feel good and then one of the best parts of my week is going for after an ice bath and breath work it's going for a swim in the ocean with the boys because there's about a the ocean feels like it's fiji because you've just been in an ice bath it feels like the water's like 40 degrees which is incredible, but you're just in a group and you're kind of looking around like, man, this is so cool. This is so nice. And you kind of feel supported. And I feel like, yeah. That's and really then you, and you realize that, that you have all you need already. And that, that is the epitome of connection at that point. And that's what you're searching for. And you have that feeling of like, oh, this is what we're searching for. It's only fleeting. Yeah. You have to keep working at it and coming back to it. It's not like it just lasts forever, but yeah, you have that moment where you're like, yeah, this is it. This is what it's about. And all the other yeah. shit, all the other noise we don't actually need. And we're using that because we're trying to have this moment, but there's another way to have that moment. And that's what you yeah. guys are creating, which I think is just absolutely amazing. And you're such a creative, courageous man. And it's just phenomenal how you've managed to take that and turn it into something that is Australia wide and affecting people in person in such a hands-on way, in a way that's going to influence culture and in the decades to come start to shape a different Australia and a different world for men. And it's all because you you were able to key into like what's missing and then play your small part to do as much as you can to make a difference to that um, in such a transformational way for you and so many other people, man. So just like, yeah, deeply admire that. And yeah. Yeah, thanks so much, brother. I got to say that, man. Like, I am one part of the cog. Like, there's so many people that have created this with me. It's certainly not just me. Like, Luke's been a fantastic um, person to bring on, like, that I brought on to talk to me, bro. It's helped us grow massively. Um, we've had so, so many people, like, you know, my partner's been fantastic with supporting me and my mental health and being understanding of my shortcomings, and, and she's been fantastic. So there's so many people that have helped us get Talk To Me Bro to where it is. But I really, really appreciate your words, man. And you know, I really respect everything that you're doing. I love your podcast. I've, I've been following it for a long time now. Just super, super grateful, man.
That's it for this episode. If you're getting some value out of the show, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Everything we do is recorded in video, so follow Youngblood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Facebook and Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Youngblood Media, and please leave us a comment or send us a message if these stories resonate. We'd love to hear from you. And most importantly, please share the podcast with anyone in your life who might need it. We're all about reaching as many people as we can. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.